cutting edge revolutionary technology out there, uh, specifically narrow and wide web printers. A myth right now is that really high quality print is gonna be some kind of a litho. Yeah, I love this show, man. So we have a lot of new products. How kids have a career path, tremendous opportunities for them to grow through their career path. To me, it's a game changer. Welcome to Ink and Updates, your touch point for the flexographic industry. Stay informed about industry news and advertise your business or service to the community. Hello and welcome back to Ink and Updates, the podcast brought to you by Interactive Inks and Coatings. I am Craig Tenrola and with me is, of course, Tom Brennan. Today's topic is a discussion on the industry news that caught our attention over the last month or so, so April to May. If you are new to Ink and Updates, uh, we at Interactive Inks do a monthly newsletter which filters through the many news sources available and attempts to bring to you what we feel are the highlights in the industry. This podcast, of course, complements that newsletter. Now, there's about six or so pretty popular uh, news agencies in our industry. We start with Flexible Packaging, Flexo Global, Ink World Magazine, Flexotech Magazine, Packaging World, and Label and Narrow Web. So most of the articles that we're going to do pretty much focus on those six, but we're not going to do, you know, every six, all six, I should say. Even though we did read them all. Even though we did read them all, yes. You know, sometimes we find that there are um, more interesting articles uh, one month in certain magazines over others. That's all it is. Yeah, so this is a service. We do the reading so you don't have to, right? Right, exactly. So we're going to start this week with a few articles from Packaging World. I found this Packaging uh, World magazine article uh, pretty interesting. So I changed my highlighter color. <laughs> you changed highlighter. So here's the, here's the first part. High-end material choices collide with child-resistant enclosures and packaging. From nasal sprays to triangular cartons, a designer talks choices and compliance challenges. Now, what kind of compliance challenges are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about cannabis. Cannabis. Packaging right. Design, yeah. Which is why I changed my <laughs> highlighter from orange to green. Right. <laughs> you know. So this one caught my attention. Obviously, um, you know, we won't go into the political aspects of legalizing cannabis, but it does bring up some very unique challenges when it pertains to um, packaging and sale. Sure. So this article here, um, which actually came out May 12th, uh, by Karen Sukni, Director of Editorial Content. She basically did a Q&A. What was unique about designing, and she talks about talking some of the other things that she used to do, this one was with nasal spray. In terms of the label and carton, clients don't want their products to look quote-unquote medical. When people use their products, even though they are for medical use, they want it to look like it pulled off the shelf at, at, at any Well, they also don't store. want it a clear cellophane bag like they right. just bought it off the street either. Sure, it has to be tamper-proof and all these other things. Right. So I just found it interesting. She goes on to say um, what some of the complications are of designing for these type of products. Um, the question was, you design for medical and recreational products. What are the special considerations for medical? She mentions from a regulatory standpoint, medical products tend to have a bit more copy with disclaimers and labels, which is, of course, less eye appealing, a lot more writing. Designers tend to go a bit more clinical with the aesthetics. And uh, it's also tough because the regulations can change at any time. So, meaning that the labels may need to be reprinted to accommodate for new rules. So, so the lines get blurred the all lines, the time? Exactly. You know, you have these issues uh, where, it especially I think this is interesting when it comes to conversation of cannabis, each state is going to have their own rules and laws. Oh, sure, absolutely. And so each state is going to have, as these things get uh, legalized in other states, I know Illinois, it's on the ballot, I don't know if it's going to pass or not. But as these things happen, you're going to have a lot of people kind of dealing with these packaging and and labeling problems. Well, I have to I mean I have to say when you look at uh there are pictures of examples 
uh, in the article. Uh, the packaging that they have here is really high-end, really uh, professional-looking mm-hmm. cosmetic type of uh Well, they want packaging. the wheat smoking I mean, to be classy. No, you couldn't tell that <laughs> what they want. What? I said they want their weed smoking to be classy. Well, this yeah, is a classy I mean, event. People well, sitting around I mean, getting yeah, stoned. I mean, even this one from <laughs> Seed and Smith here. I mean, they're individually rolled. Uh, we're gonna lose it here. Individually rolled joints, as they're calling them, in a custom designed package. But there's no leaf. It's like you you wouldn't be able to tell that this is a medical marijuana product by the well, outside of it. It's it's very high end. Well, I always kind of try and compare it, or when I think about it in my mind, I think about the cigarette packaging. Obviously, they're not packaging to make it look like you're going to get lung cancer. They're packaging to make it look like it's cool, comfortable, all right. the rest of it. So, yeah, there you go. Cannabis packaging design coming to a, I'm going to guess, digital printer near you because of the regulation changes that are going to hit this. It's probably going to be pretty short runs. I think you can find <laughs> it in the, your uh, potato chip munchie aisle at a store near, <laughs> <laughs> at a store near you. All right, moving on. This is from senior editor Anne-Marie Moen. And um, the one that caught my attention here was flexible packaging's role in a sustainable world. So a new report, and I'm reading from the article, a new report from the Flexible Packaging Association entitled A Holistic View of a Role of Flexible Packaging in Sustainable World. Provides a holistic view on the sustainable benefits that flexible packaging offers, provides foresight into future sustainable implications for flexible packaging, and develops six LCA case studies comparing flexible packaging to other packaging formats across a range of products. For the report, six different life cycle assessment case studies were developed using the Eco Impact Compass registered trademark LCA software, which allows for quick life cycle comparisons between different packaging formats. The case studies include packaging for baby food, cat litter, ground coffee, laundry detergent pods, motor oil, and single serve juice flavored beverages. So, despite the number of sustainability benefits which came out on top, I brought this article up because the important regions are uh, there are challenges facing the flexible packaging industry. The main challenges are post-consumer packaging material collection and recycling. So, even though the individual components of a product may be recyclable, um, the packaging as a whole is difficult because they can't separate it. There is currently a lack of recycling options for multi-material laminated films, such as snack bags and foil pouches, which are difficult to separate into the various material substrates. So that's why I brought this up. So she goes on to say, there are several industry collaborations that are working to identify technologies to make collection and sortation of flexible packaging waste feasible and economically effective, as well as research into chemical recycling, which degrades the mixed plastics into monomers or basic chemicals to turn into new products. Other programs such as Waste to Energy, WTE, which use the combustible energy from difficult to recycle plastics, are widely used in Europe and Asia and may provide additional recovery processes in the U.S. So we have these flexible packaging, recyclable products, but then, of course, we ran into an operational standpoint or a feasibility part where you can't actually separate the materials out quite yet with the technology that we have. Well, I mean, recycling for the homeowner is confusing. uh, As it is? As it is. And uh, I don't even actually have that article in front of me, but uh, some of the labeling that you're starting to see now is a how-to recycle label, um, which basically tells you, hey, this is how we need to recycle this package. Either bring it back to the store, separate it out from your glass or, or whatever. I mean, recycling in the city of Chicago these days uh, takes probably five bins, and it's rather confusing. My mom's trying to save the world one paper plate at a time. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it would be interesting to see how they solve these issues moving forward, but I'm confident that they will solve them. So on to another packaging world magazine here. Uh, this one by Pat Reynolds, VP editor. Papers pressing forward. So I'm going to focus on pieces of this article because actually it's pretty in, in depth here. But what caught my eye uh, was Ecologic has made quite a name for itself with paper bottles used in a number of categories, including wine, cat litter, protein powders, and laundry detergent. In each case, the container has essentially the same. Uh, an inner film polyethylene pouch inside a molded pulp outer shell made from recycled corrugated and old newspapers that can be recycled up to seven times. So I think right off the bat, you see issues here with what we just talked about being two materials that can be recycled but are put together into a product that would need to be separated in some kind of way. We actually brought this particular bottle up in our one of our earlier podcasts. This is the one that's uh, impregnated with seeds. It's one of your... Not, it's one of my favorite ones, yeah. Not one of your favorite ones. It's got the heirloom seeds inside. Great right. tomatoes, by the way. <laughs> so it goes on to say that uh, Farrell and colleagues discovered, however, that the Ecologic Brands wasn't terribly interested in picking up the new business. Why? Because according to Julia Colbert... Ecologic founder and CEO, by the end of 2015, it was clear that the fundamental manufacturing methods underpinning Ecologic's business were flawed. Getting the pouch inside the molded pulp shell was a difficult thing to automate. Colbert explains, our goal had always been to develop the technology with an eye toward higher speed, better quality, and reduced cost of assembly. Because the glue had to be applied, and because the shape of the pouch proved challenging, we never got beyond 12 bottles per minute. That doesn't sound like that very many. That is not fast. <laughs> that is not a very fast process. And she mentions that, of course, that even at that speed, it was not very automated. <laughs> so we came to the realization that this bottle was not the future, that we were wasting time and money, says Colbert. I hope I'm pronouncing uh, her name. Colbert? Uh, Colbert, possibly. I don't know. I'm a kid from Chicago. It's Colbert to me. Well, either way, we mean her no respect, or disrespect, rather. Um, she goes on to say, radical steps were required if we wanted to become a viable company for the long term. We'd, be, we'd been focused too much on sales, not enough on process, quality, and operations. My favorite part of the company. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So what was her solutions? Um, well, I mean, this is a partnership between them and L'Oreal. I mean, L'Oreal, I mean, she has quotes in here that they practically stalked us to get this thing done. It was a joint venture. Yes, absolutely. I, I didn't mean to leave out L'Oreal, um, but absolutely, yes. There is a full article. If you want to check this out, I, I recommend reading it. Um, it is on Packaging World, and we'll link to it on our website. But what was the solution here? So the solution was no more pouch. The new and improved paper bottle says goodbye to the inner pouch made of flexible film. In its replacement is a very thin extrusion blown, blow molded liner that is fully recyclable and made with 80% post consumer recycled PCR HDPE. So that's a good solution. Perhaps even more significant is the elimination of the side flange, thus, the elimination of the glue that was required during the process during the automated manufacturing of it. Now in place are interlocking patterns to bind the two shells together, an approach that is far more robust and reliable. So those are the pieces that I wanted to mention. Again, it goes on to explain quite a bit more than that. But I like the idea that now we're having post-consumer recycled papers going into all sorts of areas with packaging and, and bottles and labels and things like that. Well, the other part of this uh, story here is a company called Drop Water out of California that basically ships these empty... Uh, paper bottles across the country and 
puts them into a vending machine. And the vending machine then, when you order your water and pay for your water, it actually unscrews the bottle, fills it for water at the site, and caps it, and then dispenses it to you. Hmm. And the and the, really the cost of shipping bottled water across the country, I mean, is oh that's not cheap. No, it, <laughs> it, it, it's not cheap. I mean, you know, they actually don't even take coins either. It's all Apple Pay, credit card, or debit card. Uh, these guys are paying between a buck fifty and four dollars and eighty cents, depending on where the machine is located. Uh, they filter the water right there in the machine. It's all done in house, but it's uh, I think it's kind of ingenious actually, because hmm. all they're doing is ship, shipping empty bottles, which only weighs sixty pounds, to ship a box of this across country, whereas opposed to a half a ton while shipping the same amount of bottles across the country. So, you know, coming to a park near you is a uh, bottled water on demand in a one hundred percent eco friendly. 100% recyclable bottle. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because what you see is, from an eco standpoint, just the reduction in shipping costs um, would associate with the reduction of cost uh, from a different end of being ecological. You're obviously yeah. you're shipping less, you're using less gas, yeah. using less energy. So just very creative, um, very unique all around. I mean, 35 years ago, you wouldn't even think of, of buying bottled water. <laughs> I mean, I drank well, from the no. hose when I was a kid. Well, even with milk. I mean, right. I, it was uh, my grandmother... Milk came in glass containers that got right. picked up at the end of the day. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, it was delivered. It was. They never came in a plastic jug for two fifty at Jewel. You know. Right. That's the way it is now. Oh, I'm going to touch on this just for a minute because it made me laugh as it's, well. That's ridiculous, actually. Yeah. So, in-store vending machines for tomatoes. Okay. Why? By Pat Reynolds, well, see, VP that is editor. My, why? I why are we doing this? Well, I. What it sounds like. I'm going to read this. I'm going to okay. read this first paragraph here. Specially developed for cherry tomatoes by D.S. Smith in the Peck Wright Center, the Automato is Auto-mato. essentially an in-store vending machine. The consumer determines how many cherry tomatoes to buy and from which color. So that right there, I didn't know there was more than one color. I thought well, cherry yeah. tomatoes were red, but okay. No, they come in yellow and orange. Okay, so different flavors, I assume? Yeah. Not, right. Okay, that's right. something I wouldn't know too much about. Okay. One twist of the Automato wheel causes six tomatoes to fall into a cup. The tomatoes... <laughs> Are in a special uh, tamo box that, if the consumer wants to uh, wants a whole lot of tomatoes uh, versus just a cupful, they can of course purchase them. So um, there's special containers and packaging here, which is I guess why Packaging World is talking about it. Now, is it popular in Europe for people to walk around with a cup of tomatoes eating it at the grocery store? Is that something that happens? I, I, I don't know. I just I don't. I don't want to know, honestly. My my children, my, my daughter particularly, loves cherry tomatoes. So I guess I could kind of see it. Right, but if you buy one seed and plant it in your yard, you have this big, giant bush <laughs> that will give you literally thousands of cherry I, tomatoes. I don't know. It gives you something to do. So in, in Europe, they're handing out tomatoes, and in, in our stores, they're all getting bars. I don't know if all the all the ones around here, you can get a beer as you shop. Nice. And uh, in Europe, you can get tomatoes. Okay. <laughs> now onto more some more serious news. More serious news. So to jump to Ink World magazine because this is Ink and updates, of course. I uh, wanted to touch on now. Last week, if you haven't wa- uh, listened to it, I was going to say watched it, but that'd be a little difficult. And um, if you haven't listened to it, last podcast we had on Jeff Mikaitis from Ron USA. We talked everything um, UV. Now this corresponded pretty well with Radtech's 2018. And one of the topics that we talked about is the headline of this article. 
Key photo initiator shortages is causing major headaches for inks and coatings industry, uh, covering the printing inks, coatings, and allied industries. Uh, the discussion among many attendees is not the opportunities that are available, but instead the realities of the raw material market, and particularly the shortage of important photo initiators essential for inks and coatings. Uh, it goes on to discuss TPO, TPOL, which are used for inkjet inks, UV LED inks, automotive coatings, and wood coatings for floorings. So this is a, a long article, but I think you get the gist of it. Everyone knows the China market's being a little goofy these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about this on several podcasts before and really what you're having is the chinese government's shutting down these plants uh they're finding regular uh environmental regulatory uh infractions and instead of giving them an opportunity to fix those infractions they just shut it down so i mean if you're a owner operator out there and you've got some uh, coatings uh, some jobs that uh, require uv overprint varnishes and or inks i would start looking for alternatives because uh, you're going to pay more it's hey, like water-based ink. Weird. So, <laughs> now, um, so yes, if you want to hear more about that, I encourage you to go listen to the our last podcast with yep. Jeff Mikaitis. He goes into great detail about that. But also, uh, RadTech USA just finished up. They had a booth out there. A lot of good technology coming the way in UV. One way or another, once these uh, marketing issues get fixed out, which they always do, um, I think there's a lot of cool technologies coming up. So, Xerox aborts $6.1 billion sale to Japan's Fujifilm. I'm reading from an article out of Ink Makers Magazine. Is it Ink Maker or Ink World Magazine? I apologize. Um, technology firm Xerox has ended its, con- ended its controversial sale to Japan's Fujifilm after reaching a deal with activist investors Carl Akan and Darwin Deason. Together, they own 15% of Xerox and had opposed the $6.1 billion deal because they think it undervalued their firm, which is what I found uh, kind of interesting here. So they were fighting for months. This decision ends it. Fujifilm has disputed Xerox's unilateral decision, adding, we do not believe that Xerox has a legal right to terminate our agreement. We are reviewing all of our available options, including bringing a legal action seeking damages, Fujifilm added. Now, as part of this decision to call off the merger agreement, Xerox fired its chief executive, Jeff Jacobson, in early May. And six board members were also ousted, paving the way for two executives close to Mr. Akan, which is, of course, the activist, to be installed in the roles of chief executive well, and chairman. Well, there. Right. So what he did, this just seems like a coup to me. Now, this article is not very a long. coup d'etat. <laughs> yeah, so these guys who own 15% of Xerox, which doesn't seem like a lot, so they, got, they went but, ahead. But, but that's in the gazillions of dollars well i understand but in percentages it doesn't make any difference which makes it sound like as i read this they had to get rid of six board members in order to basically get rid of this fujifilm deal yeah and um so five new board directors which were close to mr icon were appointed um and xerox can now go forward with a sale in an auction format which i could only assume is to bring in a bit of a higher sum than 6.1 billion I cannot wait to see how this unfolds. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Just because it seems kind of, just seems kind of, you know. Coup d'etat? It does. It seems like something out of, I don't know if you watch that show, Billions. You ever watch that show, Billions, on on HBO? Uh, I have not, actually. Okay, well, if you get around to watching it, it's just basically a bunch of very wealthy individuals moving the chessboard around. And uh, I I just think this just seems like one of those. There's some chessboard moving right here. That's all. So you had something you wanted to mention from was well, it I just, Flexotech? Yeah, it's out of Flexotech uh, magazine. They have a 
short article in here about Nestle aiming for 100% recyclable packaging by 2025. Company plans to make changes by focusing on three core areas, eliminating non-recyclable plastics, encouraging the use of plastics that allow better recycling rates, and eliminating or changing the complex combinations of packaging materials. They don't want anything going as waste. They okay. want it all 100% recyclable. Well, yeah. yeah, as we, again, we talked about this in way of Best of Flexo, everything's going green. Everything's going recyclable, which is, of course, which is a good. Like Jeff put it, um, we're all citizens of this planet. Sure. And we all want to see these things head in the right direction. You know, a sad note, our history here is that uh, probably seen it all over the internet where a plastic bag, a single-use plastic bag, was found in the deepest part of the ocean. And... Uh, a single-use plastic bag was among the 3,500 fragments discovered at the depths of 10,889 meters. So that's pretty deep. How deep can a submarine go? That's I, I would classified. As a former I, Navy dude, I'm just saying that's classified information. However, right. I'll say that that's really deep. It's very deep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to find plastic bits down there. Uh, is uh, it's not so great. No, it's it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. That's all you could say about that. In better news, <laughs> right? So, in, so in better news, the uh, uh, flexible packaging uh, students excel in the FPA's flexible packaging design challenge. There are two second place honors. So you're talking about the students FPA's flexible yeah, packaging so, design challenge. You know, stu- yeah, students uh, competition entries, high level of creativity. The competition received 28 concept outlines and 11 were uh, selected to continue into the development page. So they actually have taken this from concept all the way through development to on the shelf. Um, There's a great thing in here about uh, Tree Nut Coffee. It got second place honors. Tree Nut Pouch also contains an in-pouch measuring system that allows you to measure the perfect amount of coffee into the filters for a fresh and precise pot of coffee. So uh, this, the uh, tied with second place was out of the University of Wisconsin, where they redesigned the uh, stand-up plastic cereal box as a game changer for the industry. If you ever go to the store and you got cereal, it came it comes in these big bulk bags. Well, once you open the bag, it's like right, everything else goes stale. It's everywhere. I mean, Lucky Charms are all over the floor. Kids are going crazy, and then they get stale, and there's nothing worse than a stale marshmallow well, pro- from, Lucky pro- <laughs> from Lucky Charms. <laughs> the problem I have is these big Bags take up so much of the space in my cupboard. Right. I mean, I would go to Costco and buy them because my kids eat cereal like it's going out of style. But these bags are huge, and there's no place to keep them. And, of course, they go bad. before. But yeah, anyway, so go they re- redesigned this. Uh, it uses uh, much less material. Uh, it weighs less. has an easy open pouch, uh, receivable to protect the product. The design still provides the same benefits of traditional model and can be stacked and provides a large billboard for graphics, which you like. Uh, and it's easy to dispose of. But number one, and I shouldn't say that I'm shocked by this at all, coming out of the uh, univer- Iowa State University, two students have basically redesigned the way we'll see jello shots forever and ever and ever. Why wouldn't it go this direction? We have pouches for everything. Why not single shots? <laughs> right. Jeez. I mean, quite frankly, the, the old way is very clumsy and messy. This way, it is in a uh, sealed pouch. Uh, typical jello shots are made in rigid uh, polystyrene cups with a lid, but the wino 
is a flexible squeeze pouch designed to increase the ease of gelatin shot consumption with easy transportation. You know, the kids are going to be sneaking these into uh, concerts. Uh, well, I mean, like crazy. It looks like it's under two ounces, so right. I mean, easy to fly with. You could put them in your pocket. <laughs> I mean, this. this I, you want to talk about a game change? This is why this is number one. I okay, so I, I it is. All right, fine. It's in a the pouch. college student in me comes out. All right, it's kind of a cool idea. First of all, gelatin shots aren't made of wine, are they? I thought that was kind of a booze and a jello kind of mixture. So why wino as the name? Wino gelatin shots? Why? I'm just curious. Why wouldn't it just be a wine, a, a, a small just, glass uh, of wine? Yeah. You'd have to ask them. I'm sure the result is the same. Right. <laughs> I'm just looking. Okay, I get it. So we have a little shot glass here. Unique idea. I think it's kind of like um, the single serve glasses of wine that you had now. If you ever watch Shark Tank, they have the single, yeah, single you glasses fit these of wine. In your pocket, bro. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going into a concert. You could fit 10 of these. Concert, a, baseball a, game. Right. Inside no your problem. jacket sleeve. No problem. We're ready to roll. Coming to a concert near you. Jello shots. Yes, well, I think it's safe to say that Emily Urban and Autumn Rudling, Rudlung, Rudlung of Iowa State University yes. are probably extremely popular as of, <laughs> what was the date here? <laughs> May 3rd. Yep. Congratulations to them. Yes, absolutely. Good job. Okay, so our last edition of... The Ink and Updates newsletter, which went out last week, I believe, depending on when we decide to go ahead and launch this podcast that we are recording, was our uh, in honor of Memorial Day issue. So um, Chicago's Memorial Day Parade uh, and wreath laying ceremony, the city of Chicago will be hosting its yearly Memorial Day Parade on Saturday, May 26th, beginning with a wreath laying ceremony in honor of our fallen troops. The city will, will honor the families and loved ones of soldiers fallen in the line of duty. Men and next of kin will be presented with lapel pins to honor their status as family to those who have given their last full measure of devotion to our great country. Um, to learn more about the Chicago's events honoring the fallen, please go ahead to our website uh, or just Google it. It's uh, in the city of Chicago. I'm sure there are others in your neighboring towns. Yeah, the well, there's there's memorial services uh, all over Chicagoland. One of our favorites in the neighborhood that I grew up in it. Uh, Rose Hill Cemetery, uh, which is uh, probably one of the oldest cemeteries in the Chicagoland area. They do a great job with the parade. They do a great job of honoring our fallen soldiers. As a veteran myself, who has brothers who have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice, uh, it is a time uh, to uh, remember them, honor them, and uh, know that freedom is not free. And so... All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this April to May newsletter edition of our Ink and Updates podcast. We really greatly appreciate you listening. Please feel free to hit to our website and uh, subscribe. If you subscribe to the newsletter itself, you, of course, get a printed edition sent to you in the mail each month. And we will try to do a monthly update on our, the news that we found interesting. Thank you again for listening and make it a great day.